The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you, as always, for the next half hour, and uh, thank you so much for allowing us into your cars and smart speakers, and whoever it is that you digest this, if it's the podcast, we do a uh, Appreciate it. Joining us as always from the Council on Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey, our good friend Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Craig. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, doing well. We're halfway through uh, you know, the month that we all worry about. So, uh, so far, so good. Now, fingers crossed, of course, that uh, people get through March without, you know, finding themselves in a similar position that you and I were. And joining us uh, today for the first time is the host of All In, the Addicted Gamblers podcast, which you can download on all the podcast uh, platforms like Apple, uh, et cetera, is Brian Hatch. Brian, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me, and thanks for what you and Dan are doing. Yeah, so let me get right into it with you, Brian. Uh, your background. What was your game of choice, is there, if there was one? And let's get through your story and how you went from a sports fan and a gambler to a guy that's now dedicating his life like we are to trying to spread the word and help others. How did it start for you? I grew up in Michigan, so I'm a Detroit sports fan. And I started as a freshman in college, just went to the casino one night with some friends uh, at tribal casinos, and you could go when you were 18. So we met one night, casino was two and a half hours from my dorm room, and I had a good time. I won that night. I played blackjack and uh, was kind of, addicting that night and so next thing i know i find myself driving two and a half hours to play blackjack alone with no friends and i didn't reach out and ask anybody to go i just decided this is what i enjoyed doing right and i was full-time student i had a full-time job and i was driving these two and a half hours to go gamble and like you said in the documentary had this hard out time where you had to go i had to be at work at eight o'clock in the morning so by 5.30, I had to leave the casino. By 4.30, I had to leave the casino if I wanted to take a shower before I went to work. Right. And that lasted up until, uh, you know, school said it's time for you to go because I wasn't going to class. I wasn't doing well in my classes. So then, how, when you went to that very first trip, how quickly did it become a routine? And then how many days a week were you making that two-and-a-half-hour drive? And I should mention, that's a five-hour round-trip drive. How often would you start to go? I started, you know, whenever I had money. So, you know, I was making hourly money as a college student. So whenever the money permitted, I would go. Whenever I get that, that urge, I couldn't escape the thought of blackjack because that's what I started playing. I would go. So I'd go anywhere from two nights a week to four nights a week. It just, it depended if I had funds or not to do that. Got it. And when you look back on it, it's, it's not surprising to me that you won that first time. Is there any aspect when you look back on your life, had you lost that first time, do you think you would have wound up where you wound up? The initial thought I had when I won, you know, I put $50 down and I went, I got 150 on a blackjack. And I thought, why well, only make 80 bucks a day at work? This is almost double that. Well, what am I doing? Why am I going to work all these hours? This, this is so easy. Right. So that was the initial thought. It's kind of like drug dealing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, I've heard that, you know, people that have drug dealt before say, why am I going to work at McDonald's for 15 bucks an hour? If I even get that, 
I can stand on the corner for five minutes and make ten grand. Yeah, and then I well, I quickly learned that it wasn't the case. You know, I lost and continued to lose, uh, but continued to put my money into it. So when you look back, is there a pivotal moment in the narrative of your story where it got completely out of control and you started making really bad decisions outside of just a decision to go gamble? Did you risk something you couldn't afford? Did it cost you, you know, college? Like, what was the the low moment uh, in your gambling where all of a sudden the bleep hit the fan and you found yourself in a bad spot? That would have been when I was 29. I had to move back in with my parents for the third time, which, you know, you can imagine your 20s having to move back in with your parents. And at this point, my parents had retired, so they were living in a little apartment. So I was sleeping across the hall from them. They were very kind to take me in. But that was the result of I decided that I needed to stop gambling. I'd been in and out of GA, and GA worked wonderful for me for about two and a half years or so. And then I got complacent, stopped going, started gambling again. And so I decided that I need to fix this somehow. So I thought, I don't need any free time because free time was, was making me want to go gamble, free time and money. So I thought, I need to pay back all this debt. Why don't I just go get some more jobs? So I was working 96 hours a week over three jobs. Wow. All hourly jobs, nothing more than 15 bucks an hour. So wow. in doing that, I had Sunday nights free, this little section, and I went out with some coworkers. Well, I left the bar where we were at, and the back wheel of my vehicle came off the car. I had borrowed my grandmother's car because, again, I was a gambler. I didn't have access to a great vehicle. So I borrowed her car. And the back wheel came off, the car flipped over, wound up in a ditch. I woke up outside of the vehicle. I have no idea what happened, except for I remember dirt in my face. Hmm. And the next thing I know, the cops are pulling up. I knew I had been at a bar, so I knew I was in trouble, and I told them what had happened. And They took me to the hospital. Luckily, I wasn't too injured, but you know, I had to call my dad at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning and tell him what had happened. And he was very nice. He came and picked me up, and that was when he said, I think, I think you should move home, and I think you should quit some of these jobs and just live a life, be quiet. So I did that and uh, it worked out for a while. And then my dad, when I was living with him, just died suddenly one day. I was at work and got a text and uh, he had an aortic dissection and just died. And so I knew that as the gambler in me, I wanted to go gamble to cope with that. But I had the forethought to go to GA that day. So I went to a GA meeting, you know, cried and cried and cried, but I knew I needed to do that. But unfortunately, you know, the addiction was so strong. I went back to gambling, did a lot of damage again. Finally, my mom said, you always wanted to live in California. Why don't you leave town, go out to California? So I cashed in my small 401k and hit the road. And, you know, sadly, I gambled along the way, stopped in Vegas. And then when I got to California, it just didn't end. I kept taking the now four-and-a-half-hour car trip to Vegas. Let me stop you there at that point of the story. Dan, that is a sad but you know all too often repeated refrain which is i tried to stop i knew what i was doing was destructive and i may have even stopped for a short period of time or a long period of time but something happened in life where i decided to start doing it again walk walk us through why we do that yeah and and you know brian you know thank you so much for your courage and your vulnerability and i'm sorry for the loss of your dad and, you know, I think about like one of the elements of addiction and to know that we have a problem is when it continues despite those negative consequences. 
we could know cognitively in our brain that we should stop. Like, I, I honestly know that this is probably not going to end well, but that's not the predominant thought at the time when the gambler's gambling. And, you know, I remember thinking the same way Brian did. Like, I've got to deal with escape. After September 11th, I don't know how to feel better. I know I don't want to feel this negative way anymore, so I'm going to go back to this thing that makes me feel safe, that I know a lot about, and that I have this weird relationship with that it's it's weird because I love it and I hate it at the same time, and it does the same thing to me, yet it's familiar. And so we oftentimes will look for things that are familiar or safe, and for those people who struggle with gambling and even started at an early age, they've tucked that away, and they turn back to it. When life throws that curveball that life will throw on a regular basis, it's easy to escape. Let me just gamble for a few hours. It'll be better. And Brian has, and Craig, is, as we all know, all three of us know, that that's never the case. No, no, I mean, listen, it doesn't end well. When you're the addict, you know, have you ever heard a story of an addict where it ended well while they're in the midst of their addiction? It's not until never. we start conquering the addiction that the story gets better. So, Brian, you go to California. You're now, as you said, four hours away from Vegas. You're going to Vegas. And then what happens? So at this point, uh, I'm, I'm playing strictly slot machines because over the course of gambling, you know, I saw people get angry at each other at a blackjack table, and then I moved to roulette. Roulette wasn't fast enough, so then slots were fast enough for me. So I was driving to sit at a slot machine all night by myself in Las Vegas, and you know, a handful of times I went, I always got a room cheaply, you know, on Expedia or something. Yep. Rarely did I use it, though, if, if I lost because I just wanted to get home, and so then I'm taking that four-and-a-half-hour trip back home. Finally, I... I just, one night, I lost everything. I mean, I lost everything I went to California. And at that point, it was time I, I had to take a serious look at bankruptcy. And, and sadly, that's the route I went. I'm not proud of it, but it is the way that it went. And I just thought, I can never, ever do this again. Um, so I, I locked myself in my room that I was renting in North Hollywood for six months to just not go out. I just wanted to stay away from the world. And I sat inside and watched movies and shows and and uh, January came around, and after six months of not gambling, I decided I need to talk about this, but I didn't. I needed a new way to recover, you know, and right. that's where the podcast was born. So was the podcast born to give you the outlet to openly talk about the addiction and hope that there'd be others who would understand it, could relate to it, and would make you feel better? Or was the original idea of the podcast, you know, some, something else? So it started, um, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, I went I was in and out of counseling and therapy for the addiction and also some court-mandated counseling from the car rolling over and me being intoxicated at the time. The thing the counselor told me during that was, you don't have a drinking problem, you have a gambling problem. I said, yeah, I know. And so when the podcast idea came, I just needed to talk more. I needed to talk about my feelings. And so the, the podcast is my selfish way to recover. And I stand by that to this day. I'm glad other people listen. That's great. But it's my way to recover. And it was just two friends talking. My friend listened to me. He's the only friend who ever told me that I had a gambling problem to my face. And so he was kind enough to just listen to me week in and week out. And then slowly, you know, I started to just get better. And then um, he had to go back to his life. And uh, Jeff Wasserman, another gambler recovery, joined me to host the show with me. And now we've had the great pleasure of having so many guests on to, to talk about it. And it always helps me to hear a new story. And now I get people like your partner there, Dan, to come on the podcast talk about his story so it's just it's been an incredible journey doing the podcast and, and talking to other 
problem gamblers. We're going to talk more with Brian Hatch and, of course, Dan Trillaro. The podcast is called All In, the Addicted Gamblers podcast. By all means, download it. Uh, if you have a loved one who might be an addict or you yourself have lived through it. We'll continue with more from both guys right after this. On Hello, My Name is Craig on Sports Radio 66, 101.9 FM, The Fan. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Evan Roberts coming up at 10 o'clock this morning. Then, of course, Evan and I, Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Brian, when you look back on your life as a gambler, is there one moment that is worse than all others? One moment when you look back on it and say, that right there, that moment was uh, my most embarrassing moment, my most shameful moment, the one moment where I was at my legitimate rock bottom? Yeah, the moment that, that caused me to cry out in public one night was I had I'd gotten fired from my job because I was showing up late all the time because I was either sleeping in from gambling or what have you. And I went down to see my grandfather. I visited him often enough. Love that man. And I told him, listen, I got fired. I really want to go back to school. And this is when I was 24. And I said, would you co-sign a loan for me? And he said, sure. And then he saw the rate of the loan after he had co-signed it. And he said, why don't you just send that back? I'll just loan you the money. And then you can pay me back. And I said, oh, great. So now... I had a check for student loans, and I had the money he gave me, and I never told him. And I gambled it all the way in two nights at the casino. <laughs> and, you know, that stuck with me for a long time and a lot of guilt from that because he died before I could tell him, you know? And so when he died, I had to tell my mom and my aunt, his daughters, what I did with his money and how I betrayed that. So that's the one that really sticks out with me is taking his money under false pretenses like that. Yeah, that's right, Dan. We talk a lot on this show about the innocent victims here. And it's typically emotional victims, loved ones, family members, who sit back and they're watching this slow car crash, literally in real time. But it's it's so devastating to the people that we love because they're the ones we hurt the most. Yeah, you know, Brian just kind of mentioned something that I guess I hadn't thought about in a while. Uh, and I can really relate to it, it. It's the loved ones because they have the trust. They're the, they're the, for the gambler and for this person who struggles with addiction of any kind, you're going to go to those loved ones and those people who trust you the most first, because it's the least amount of work seemingly that you have to do to, to get them on your side, whether it's money for gambling or drugs or alcohol. But specifically, I remember in the midst of my gambling addiction, I had asked my grandparents for a loan and the intended purpose was to to, to buy a business. I was a financial planner at the time and I was looking to buy out someone's book of business as they got ready for retirement. And my grandfather extended that loan, gave me that money. And Brian, I can relate because I used that money to gamble instead. Once that person decided not to retire, they were going to work another year. I should have given that money right back, but I didn't. I took that money. I gambled it and lost it. And, and I was blessed with the opportunity to talk to my grandfather and my grandparents, both before they passed away. And I can understand that there was some uh, some hurt and, it, and there was healing. And, you know, I can really relate to what you just said because I, I kind of walked that similar path. And it's hard because these are people that love you unconditionally, uh, just like other family members and, and people in your life. But the grandparents, you know, my grandparents helped raise me for a good number of my years. And it's really hard we do those things to those that we love the most. You know, though, guys, it's also a reminder that unlike drugs and alcohol – 
the family may have no idea. It's just so easy to hide it from them. It's like we've said a million times, it's a silent, invisible addiction. Now, they may notice that you're moody or you're not yourself. They may pick up on certain aspects of your personality, but they can't smell it. They can't see it. And you go to them, and of course, they're going to loan you the money. They're your family. They love you. And they have no reason to think that you're not being honest with them. And you know, Brian, that specific story reminds me of why gambling in a lot of ways is the worst of all addictions because I can stare you in the eyes and you have no idea I'm an addict. Yeah. Like you'd have no idea that I was just, you know, I could have come off, I don't know, as I did many times, you know, 12, 13, 14 consecutive hours of playing blackjack, take a shower and go eat breakfast and you'd have no idea where I did the last 12 or 14 hours. Now, had I been drinking for 12 or 14 hours or getting high for 12 or 14 hours, you bet your ass you'd know it. But when I show up for your uh, scrambled eggs and bacon, you'd have no idea what I did the last 12 hours because there's no signs, there's no tells. It's a hidden addiction. You can't see it. And Craig, you're so right. You know, we even talk to clinicians around the state and, and, you know, even family members, you know, you can't give a positive urine screen for gambling. So you have no idea what this person's been doing. And gambling is not the thing that the person will lead with in, you know, expecting what you've been doing. How long uh, after you started the podcast, Brian, did you come legitimately 100% clean and stop lying in some parts of your life for certain people? When, when were you legitimately all in on you know, being honest, telling the story you know, with all the warts and sharing who you really were with, with uh, friends and family? Um, you know, I, the example I can best give is, is when I, I met my wife. I told her up front everything, you know, on date number one, I just said, here's who I am. And I told her about the lying and the stealing of money and all of the gambling and that I was in the middle of bankruptcy. And after all that, you know, she still loved me and we got married and have a beautiful child now. So that was the moment that I think the honesty really came forward. But also I discover things all the time when just because I talk about it so much. Holy cow, I was feeling this way. I was feeling that way. I did this horrible thing I completely forgot about. Now I'm reminded of. Yeah, I live that daily. That's a, that's a strange thing it's for me because there are times someone will tell me a story that I legitimately, you know, hand on a stack of Bibles. I have no recollection of it all. And frankly, I would deny it ever happened other than I know the person telling the story is, you know, honest. And I rack my brain at times going back, trying to remember certain instances, certain, uh, you know, situations and again, I have no recollection, almost like that part of my life was one complete cloud and haze, you know, just of lies. Because, you know, I've had people come and tell me, hey, remember when you did this? No, I don't. I don't remember ever saying that, doing that. Like, legitimately, you know, connect me to a lie detector test. No recollection at all. And it's scary sometimes. Yeah, I want to echo that because I, I, I'm confronted with that same thing, Craig. People will say, remember when you did X, Y, and Z? And, and just like you said, I don't remember that. And sometimes I think I'm crazy. Sometimes I think, oh, my gosh, like, like how can I remember? You know, I, I generally tend to think that my, my brain's in good shape and I can remember a lot of things. You know, I didn't, I didn't take drugs and drink excessively. I, I gambled. I should be able to remember everything. But the, the clear fact of the matter is I can't. And when someone tells me something that I did or said and they're surprised. I think that's what really troubles me is their reaction. When I say, I don't remember that, it almost feels like they don't believe me 
or right. there's doubt. And now it feels like we're going back down a path of lying. So then you try to remember it even more, and you get even more frustrated. So is it is it that we block it out, or is it that we were kind of under the influence, quote-unquote, and we just don't have the capacity to remember? Which do you think it is? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination. I think we're compartmentalizing certain areas of our life. I think we want to push out some of those negative areas. It, it could be connected with how we deal with trauma and stress. It can be the just the habitual performance and the addiction of that rapid reinforcement. We're just doing things on autopilot. We're not even thinking about what we're doing. It becomes just like blinking your eyes. You don't have to think to blink your eyes, thankfully, right? right? And breathing. It becomes almost just an automatic response. It's it's complicated. And that's probably one that'd be interesting to, to even talk with Mark about the down the road. Yeah. Hey, uh, Brian, before we let you go, I really appreciate your time and recommend that people go check out All In, the Addicted Gamblers podcast, you know, when they can. Um, is it amazing when you first kind of get healthy and sober, how much mental space you now have available that used to be totally consumed with uh, worrying about gambling and money and, you know, right, you know, driving to the casino, driving back to make it in time for work and all the crap that you used to fill your brain with that you don't have to anymore? Oh, it's incredibly relieving. And that's, I think, what talking does, too, is it gets it off your shoulders. Even if you can't talk to somebody, write it down. Get these thoughts out of your head, because that's what helps. That's what soothes the soul. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on. If I can ever return the favor and come on your podcast, count me in. People should check it out again, all in the Addicted Gamblers podcast. His name is Brian Hatch. Congratulations on uh, conquering it today. And uh, hopefully uh, tomorrow will be another good day without you gambling. And we appreciate you coming on, Brian. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for what you guys are doing. Thank you. Dan, once again, you know, you hear a story like Brian's and many of the other guests have joined us. And, you know, it's incredibly sad, uh, but it also does show you that you can win. And I don't mean at gambling. You can win at life. And you can overcome the addiction and still have a meaningful, productive, positive <laughs> enjoyable life you just gotta you gotta take that huge first step which for all of us is the toughest one and that's acknowledging that you have a problem to somebody and then opening up and starting to share and as i've told the story i think you know a few months ago in this show that first time i walked into that basement church in new jersey at six o'clock in the morning for the first ever meeting i was going to go to you know tears streamed down my face and I did everything in my power to walk out. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm glad that I didn't. But that first step, which of course is the hardest, is the most important. But when you hear a guy like Brian and you and me, who've had second and third and fourth and fifth chances, you know, sometimes it is possible. You can overcome this. Yeah, you know, I think about oftentimes how just the world looks at people who express emotion or vulnerability. You know, we're kind of conditioned to be in control of what's going on at all times. I've got this covered. I've got this handled. Everything's all good. I don't want to burden you with my problems. But the fact of the matter is that we all suffer in some small, large, medium way on a daily basis with something we're struggling with. And when you're struggling with something like gambling, it's a hidden addiction to begin with. So you, number one, you can't see it. We've talked about that repeatedly. But then when you can kind of internalize that and keep it to yourself and not share it, and you continue to carry that baggage, it is so hard. And that hardest thing to do that you said is walking in and having the courage to become vulnerable and to share. And you know what Brian kind of highlights too, is, and what we've seen a lot, Craig, is that 
some connections and some similarities are everyday normal people can struggle with a gambling addiction. It doesn't discriminate, but it hits people in different ways by the games they choose. It can hit you for different reasons. Maybe people gamble to feel the action. Maybe people are gambling to escape a problem they don't know how to deal with. It's accessible and people use it for different ways, but you can recover because the same things that makes a gambler go, go, go can also make someone recover and become successful. And success is relative. It doesn't mean monetary. It means getting your life back, thriving instead of just trying to survive. Well, let's hope uh, we all get our lives back and uh, whatever small part of that this show is, you know, it's a privilege to be able to do it and bring it into people's uh, homes. Dan, as always, appreciate it. Counsel on compulsive gambling in New Jersey, better known to those of you out there as 800Gambler and 800Gambler.org. Have a great rest of your weekend and look forward to talking to you next Saturday morning again. Thanks so much. Thank you, Craig. Have a great week. Evan Roberts is next, and then Evan and I will be back Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Thank you for allowing us into your earlobes for the last 30 minutes. We'll see you next Saturday again at 9.30 on Hello, My Name is Craig, here on WFAN.